Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from a new book of the Bible, the book of Esther. And this teaching series will be every Thursday and Friday leading up to Purim, which is on March 15th. Now, Tom Cantor has been teaching us from the book of Exodus every Thursday and Friday, and he'll continue to do so after Purim on March 15th. Now, this message from Friendship with God is available free at iTunes or at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's Tom Cantor with our first teaching message from the book of Esther on today's Friendship with God radio program. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we have, a, again, a problem with pride. We feed it, we nurture it, it gets wounded, we try to heal it, and we love to have the focus on us. Lord, we don't seek to glorify you. Change that this morning, Lord. Help us to arrest and imprison pride. Help us, Lord, to put it on death row. Help us to stop all the appeals and carry out the execution that we might be more like Jesus in humility who said, I have glorified thee on the earth. Hear our prayer, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, now to Esther, the book of Esther. Esther, chapter 1. Follow along here, if you would, please. I read these opening verses to Esther. Now it came to pass... In the days of Ahasuerus. This is Ahasuerus, which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia, over a hundred and seven and twenty provinces. That in those days, when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast unto all his princes and, and servants the power of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of the provinces being before him, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days. And when these days were expired, The king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small, seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace, where were white, green, and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. The beds were of gold and silver upon a pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And they gave them drink in vessels of gold, the vessels being diverse one from another, and royal wine in abundance, according to the state of the king. And the drinking was according to the law. None did compel, for so the king had appointed to all the officers of his house that they should do according to every man's pleasure. Also, Vashti, the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. And on the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehemam and Bistha and Harbona and Bigtha and Abaktha and Zether and Carcass, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus the king to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look on. But the queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore the king was very wroth and his anger burned in him. Now, that's as far as I'm going to read this morning. We're going to start now with this, a series on the book of Esther, which is really a history of the holiday of Purim, 
Well, we won't go through the whole book this morning, so I encourage you to read this book several times. Esther is an amazing book. It's an amazing book in the Bible, really for a number of reasons. First of all, in the book, the name of the book is unusual. First of all, can you, can you think of why the name of this book is unusual? Who can say something, think of something? Why is it unusual? Exactly. It's only one of two books that's named after a woman. Now, it's, it's, it's named after a person, but that's most of the books are in the Bible are named after a person. You know, like Joshua and Samuel and Ezra and, and Jeremiah and Mr. Lamentations himself. Anyway, so it's, it's not because of his name, but it's only one of two books, as Scott has said, that's named after a woman. The other one is the book of? Ruth, exactly. What's common between the two books of Ruth and Esther? Well, they're both named after brave women, unusual women, women of courage, women who through their individual bravery, they preserved the line that the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, came through. But the book is named to honor the woman Esther. She was brave, she was obedient, and so Esther really takes her place among great women in the Bible. She takes her place next to Deborah, the judge, the warrior captain, who led Israel against the armies of the Canaanite, to who also wanted to exterminate the Jewish people. She takes her place next to Jael, or Yael, if you want to call her, who killed Sisera, the commander, the general of the Canaanite army. She takes her place next to Miriam, the sister of Moses, who, who, standing on the banks of the Red Sea and watching the, the soldiers of Pharaoh wash up on the shore, took the timbrel and led Israel in the great song that, where she said, Sing ye to the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. These were great women of God. And God honors women. He does. He honors women. She was one of the great women of God. These women challenge us. They challenge us to be brave. They challenge us to be courageous because that's what Esther was. They teach us theology. If there's any man who says he cannot learn theology from a woman, he doesn't know the God of the Bible because God certainly teaches us theology through these women. God highly honors these women. And this book is like an honor that God has given to this great woman, Esther. And so we should, we, we honor her also. We honor her for her faith in God, for her humility, which we're going to study about, for her courage that she had. We honor her. It's wrong to dishonor women. It's wrong. And to view them as only houseworkers. Um, we, had, we had no daughters. We only had three sons. And it used to bother me when our boys used to tell Cheryl, we're so glad we weren't born girls. I never understood why they said that. I don't know. I was wondering, maybe I'm not honoring women enough. But anyway, but God honors women. He does. We had a wonderful Bible teacher. Many of you knew Mildred. Many of you did. I was saved in 1970. And about six months after I was saved, there was a group of five of us. Tim, you were part of that group. Tim Anderson and Carl Bradley, Russ Thorson, Mike Johnson, who you saw at the memorial. And I, we would go over to Mildred's house on Saturday mornings, secretly, for hours. Because she was a woman, and she was teaching us the Old Testament. <laughs> and, but she also made a great lunch. And we, <laughs> but we went over on Saturdays, uh, and, and, and what I gained from her teaching, which I still remember today, is 
not only the content of what she taught, but I learned how she studied and researched the Bible. That was valuable. And she was a woman. She had no children like the Lord. But many of us view ourselves as her spiritual children, declaring her generation. God honors women. And this book explains the basis, not only of of Esther, but explains the basis of a great memorial. God loves memorials. We need memorials. And God says, here's a memorial for you. It's It's the holiday of of Purim. And there's so much in this book that's a memorial to just how close the Jewish people came to extermination. Just how close the people who God promised would bring the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the earth. Just how close they came to being wiped out. There's something else that's very unusual about this book of Esther, and that's the name. Why? Because Esther is not a Hebrew name. It's a Persian name. Esther. Esther had two names. She had a Hebrew name. Her name was Hadassah. But her other name that we know her by is is Esther. That's a Persian name. And the book is purposefully named Esther instead of Hadassah. Because Esther comes from the Persian and the Babylonian goddess Ishtar. Ishtar. If you go over to the Creation Museum in Santee, you'll see a replica of the Ishtar Gate. And we'll see why that's important. And something else is unusual, we heard about a few weeks ago about the book of Esther. It's the only book in the Bible that doesn't contain the name of God. And we'll see why that's important. So there are ten chapters in the book of Esther, as, you're gonna, as, as you know. And these chapters can be divided right down the middle into two sets of five. So a set of five on this side, a set of five on that side. Think of the book of Esther like it was describing a hangman's noose. And in the first five chapters, what you see is the careful tying of the hangman's noose, tied with the purpose to kill the Jews. In fact, the last verse of chapter 5 says about Haman that he caused the gallows to be made. Haman caused the gallows to be built for a public hanging of what he hoped would be the first Jew, Mordecai, for the killing of all the Jews. It was so public what he built. It was terrifically high. So the next time you, 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 you see the Coronado Bridge downtown, you think to yourself, Haman's gallows was half that height. That's 15 stories. That was a big gallows. And he wanted all the world to see the final solution for the Jews. The extermination of the Jewish people. The end of the people who God had promised the Messiah would come through. The Lamb of God was not going to come, the Lord Jesus Christ, if he wiped out the people. And he wanted to see all, and all on the top, and on the top of these gallows, we can imagine a hangman's noose, tied, blowing in the wind. That's the first five chapters of the book of Esther. The devil using a man, Haman, to tie the hangman's noose to kill the Jewish people. The last five chapters in this book is God, instead of the devil, is God using, instead of a man, a woman, Esther, to untie the hangman's noose to kill the Jewish people. Now, first of all, King Cyrus of Persia, he gave the decree, as as Ed mentioned this morning about him in Iran, he gave the decree that the Jewish people should return to the land. They should go back to the land. And that's recorded for us in the book of Ezra, 
chapter 1, and also we have uh, that record of those relatively small handful of people that went back to the land. Why was it a small handful of people? It wasn't so bad where they were. I mean, some of businesses, shops, you know. It's kind of like uh, Israel was in the 1800s when Theodore Herzl was going around Europe and saying, let's all go down to Palestine. And, uh, and the people in Berlin said, it's pretty nice down here in Unter den Lindenstrasse with Hertie Department Store. and everything. They said, you want us to go to a place where there's swamps and malaria and Arabs and bullets? We should go down there? That's kind of a little bit like it was like. The book of Esther is such an exciting drama. It's so exciting. Who says the Bible's not exciting? This is exciting. And we, get so, we can easily get caught up in the drama of it all and the excitement of it all and fail to see what's really happening. Because it's purposeful that the book of Esther doesn't have the name God in it. You know why? Because that's our job, is to put God back in. Where is God? We come to these places and we say, and we look to see God. We look beyond the interesting story, the interesting history of it all. And we try to pull back the curtain on this mere events to see the great battle which is taking place between God and the prince of the darkness of the air and the power of light, that's God, and the power of darkness, spiritual wickedness in high places, and between that, that and the God of life and love. It's easy for us to look at the book of Esther and just see, well, it's just some very personal family affair and fail to see this is, a, this is a history of a struggle for survival of a very important people that God has called to bring his salvation to the fallen and lost man. That's what it is. And if we only see the, the book of Esther as a, as a history of unfortunate and fortunate events that take place, we'll see, we'll, we fail to see, see the, the providence of God, the eternal providence of God, the God who provides. And if we do that, it's going to be sad. And we don't want to do that as we study Esther. We want to be like Jacob. Jacob, who realized that he had a hold of the one who could bless him. And with all of his might, Jacob said to the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, I won't let you go until you bless me. And so with the same kind of tenacity, we're going to study, we're going to dig, we're going to hunt, we're going to search for all that's not written in the book. We're going to search for the one word that's not written, God. Where is God? We're going to say, what has God done here? And what can I learn about God? And we've been successful. Then we'll come away from each one of these messages and we'll say, what I saw makes me to say to you, Lord Jesus, one phrase, I worship you. I worship you. We're going to have a wonderful time. Amen? Good. All right. (laughs) Okay. Now, starts off, the book starts off and it has this phrase. Now it came to pass. Now it came to pass. I don't know how you feel when you read that phrase. It came to pass. I know how I feel. I feel like, oh no, what's next? Oh no. His words are kind of scary. It came to pass. You know, do you ever, you ever watch the evening news and you go to sleep and you wonder, you know, you, you, what are you, miners in Chile that are trapped a half a mile under the ground. They're trying to drill a hole to find them, you know. More cities bombed by the Syrian army and more kidnappings and more random shootings and more suicide bombs. And uh, they're still diving and they're looking for any survivors in an Italian cruise ship. And it's, you know, sweet dreams. And you go to sleep with that. And it stays on your mind. 
and you wake up in the morning and you say, I wonder what happened. Oh, yeah, i got to read my Bible. But I wonder what happened when I was asleep. And you look at the news and, and, it's, and it's all just a series of it came to pass. And it came to pass. And all of life just seems to be a series of it comes to pass. Everything seems out of control. Everything seems like there's no meaning. It's just unending. It's overlapping. It's a stream of coming to passes. You remember the book of Job? Remember the case of Job? That famous phrase in Job 1. It appears in verse 16 and verse 17 and verse 18. And the phrase is, while he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, couldn't even finish his report and another one's coming. You know what? That's a similar. Is, remember verse 15 of Job 1. It says, the Sabaeans came, Job, and they stole your livestock and they killed some of your, your, your staff. And then the next verse says, while he was yet speaking, there came another also and said, fire came, fire of God came down and burned up the livestock and killed more staff. And then while he was yet speaking, there came another one. And verse, next verse, while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, big wind came and made the house collapse and killed all your children. You know, when these kind of things happen to you, uh, as I can attest to you from when the doctor says you have cancer, you don't hear anything else. When Mike was told in the Pomerado Hospital he had cancer. When I would talk to him, the next day I said, well, Mike, what did the doctor say? You don't hear anything. That's, that's the only thing you hear. You just hear that. And it's like, and, and I'm sure for Job, he heard, killed, so much stuff, livestock, he, fire, God, burned up, and he can't even digest this. Hot wind, collapsed, killed. You can't, you can't get it, you can't, you can't put it together. You can't process it before one thing comes right after the other. And sometimes that's how we feel, too. We just heard about this dear one killed in an auto accident. You're trying to process this and more stuff is happening. Adina and Randy. Adina was just here a couple of weeks ago. And remember what she said in, in Joss, Nigeria? She said the people are so stunned by the violence from the Muslim extremists there that they say when they come to church, they don't know if in that window it's going to fly through a bomb while they're in church because it happens. And, that's it. and so they're caught in the it came to pass. It came to passes. And that's how this book starts. It comes to pass. It came to pass. And God's saying, God is really wanting us to fight through that and to realize and to see that, that we don't live in a world that just comes to passes, comes to pass. And we're going to see the hand of God at work and we're going to look for the hand of God at work because if we don't look for the hand of God, we won't see the hand of God. And that's true in life also. Someone says to me recently, they said, good luck. They say to me, good luck. And whenever somebody says that to me, I always turn around and says, no, I don't have an Irish God. (laughs) And believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't see life as good luck and bad luck. You know, it came to pass. We see an all-powerful God, an all-knowing God, an all-present God. Psalm 103.19. His kingdom ruleth over all. His kingdom rules over everything. And we're going to see quite a thing here with Ahasuerus and his kingdom. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1.11, God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. That's how God does it, after the counsel of his own will. We are, as we said, unlike the rulers like Ahasuerus here who are going to look at, God doesn't have a cabinet of advisors to help him make decisions. And so the book is this high-paced drama and, we, and there's a stage set. And then appearing onto the stage is one character after another. You know the great thing about this book, the way God does it, is that there's time taken to develop the character. 
of each person who appears on the stage. Boy, I so much appreciate that. He's developing the character so you get a really great picture. And our first character is, enter onto the stage, one named Ahasuerus. So now our goal is to find out, who is this man named Ahasuerus? And the verses, in verses 1 through 10, they, they tell us, first of all, you have to know that Ahasuerus was not his actual name. That was his title, just like Caesar. You know, there's no Mr. Caesar and Mrs. Caesar, right? There's just, the Caesar was not the ruler's name. It was like the title of Kaiser or Tsar, meant emperor. You know, there was Caesar, there was Augustus, that was his name. Or there was Julius Caesar, Claudius Caesar, those, those were his name. In the same way, Ahasuerus is, is the name of his title, and it means great father. That gives you a little bit of clue into the character of this man. He's called the great father. His name was actually Xerxes. Xerxes. Now, right away, we see a man who wants to be known as the great father. That's his title. That's a title for God, the great father. And we are told that this man had a tremendous kingdom. Hard for us to imagine it today. We haven't seen a kingdom like this in our our lifetime. It stretched from Ethiopia all the way up across all the Middle East, Asia Minor there. It stretched all the way to India. So here's a man that had a tremendous kingdom. And this man had a tremendous opinion of himself. Put it mildly. See in verse 2 where it says, he sat on his throne. Tremendous pride. You know, whenever you see pictures of Persian kings, they're always typically sitting there with the, the sultan and the people fanning them and so forth and all the servants all around and tending to his every need. That's the way he was. And in verse 3, we're told that in the third year of his reign, because he took over from another man named Darius the Great, and he has this idea, Xerxes has this idea, I think I'll make a great feast, a feast like there's never been before a feast. And it tells us that he makes this feast. But what it doesn't say, but we know from history, was that Xerxes at this time was thinking to himself, I think I'll invade Greece. I think I'll conquer Greece. That's what he had in mind. So there's this huge decision going on in his mind that really determined his destiny. And maybe it was to get himself convinced of how great he was that he wanted to have this feast. Maybe he wanted to get everybody else convinced and have confidence that he could win in the battle with Greece that made him decide that it was a big feast. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he has this big feast and he invites rulers and officers. And at the conclusion of this big feast, he's going to tell them all, I've decided, because you've seen how great I am, all my glory and power, that we're going to have war with Greece. We're going to invade Greece. So he brings out all of his rulers to this feast. Verse 4, we learn that this was a feast of tremendous expense. Ahasuerus was a man of arrogance. Arrogance, pride, self-indulgence, given over to great moodiness. And the feast was not just going to last for a day or a week. This was a feast for six months. Six months. What would Jenny Craig say? And every day for six months, there would be a new presentation of a new theme. And what was the theme? Was always the same thing. The glory of Ahasuerus. And the riches of Ahasuerus. And the power of Ahasuerus. It was all about Ahasuerus. So it says in verse 4, when it puts it this way, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom in honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and fourscore days, every day for on and on, they kept drinking and bragging and all the pompous self-flattery and arrogance. And he just kind of became intoxicated with wine and he became intoxicated with himself. 
Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Tom Cantor began teaching us from our new series from the Book of Esther today, and this teaching series will go every Thursday and Friday leading up to Purim on March 15th. And Tom Cantor will then resume teaching from Exodus every Thursday and Friday. But all of the messages from Exodus, Esther, Genesis, or any other special message from Tom Cantor are all available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find the podcast of Friendship with God on iTunes and download all of the messages from Tom Cantor and Friendship with God all for free. So again, go to friendshipwithgod.org or go to iTunes to download all of the messages from Tom Cantor for free. Now this month, we've also been offering Tom Cantor's latest book, Whosoever Will versus Fatalism. This book will help you to scripturally answer the questions of what is fatalistic Calvinism and who can resist God's will to be saved and what are chosen and changed children and did God predestinate people to die and to go to hell or did God foreordain or elect people to go to heaven? This book will show us how we're all faced with a personal crisis of obedience, just as Joseph and Eve both faced those crises and those questions about God. Now, this book examines the character of God and his promises and compares them with the teachings of fatalistic Calvinism and provokes us with the question, what if God misled? Now, the most eye-opening part of this book is that Tom Cantor himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. Now, if you'd like a copy of this new book from Tom Cantor, call us today at one 800 247 3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Or you can order it online at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Just click on our resources button for Tom Cantor's materials. Friendshipwithgod.org or 1-800-247-3051. You can also call us for a free gift for a lost Jewish person today. Reach God's lost chosen nation of people today. Call us 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program.